Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, April 19th, 2018. We're going to try to get three contestants in today. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to try. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage, and I mean that, no shortage of really crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine is far from what God's Word says. It's like not even close. And we're in the middle and like dead center of our worst Easter sermon of the year contest, which we hold every year, due to the fact that if you're going to spot false teaching, sometimes it, it takes a rude awakening by actually listening to a critique of an Easter sermon. The one Sunday that you would expect your pastor to preach on the vicarious, penal substitutionary death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. This is the this is the Sunday you'd hear it, and uh, we demonstrate there's a lot of churches that have no clue that that's what the you know Resurrection Sunday is about. So we do our worst Easter sermon of the year contest every year. We're in the thick of it. We're get, we got three that we're going to try to get in today. So the uh, uh, the the commercial breaks are going to be a little bit on the weird side. But uh, first uh, up, uh, contestant number three now in our worst Easter sermon of the year contest is uh, is a female pastrix by the name of uh, Sarah Folger, who is uh, in the Presbyterian Church USA. She is um, she'll be preaching from the Congregational Church of Booth Bay Harbor. And uh, her sermon doesn't even have a name. You know, well, I think I'll name it. Um, well, I'll name it along the way. I'll find something in the sermon that will then reflect what it's about, so that that'll become the title. But here's Sarah. 
The last time Easter and April Fool's Day fell on the same Sunday, the year was 1956. All right, so I get the feeling we're going to get an April Fool's Sunday sermon. I was in diapers, (laughs) and undoubtedly I knew how to laugh. Laughter comes quickly to babies. Within a few months of birth, they are laughing at anything surprising. There's nothing like peekaboo for a good laugh out of a baby. Put your hands in front of, in front of your face and open them up and say peekaboo, and you get the most delightful, lovely baby laugh. That's what we're naming the sermon, peekaboo. <laughs> the name of our sermon is peekaboo, because, you know, April Fool's. Bell and Easter, same day, you know. And even though it is the same face, the same unsurprising face that emerges with each peekaboo, the baby continues to laugh. Laughter is the universal language of surprise, and it is, as you know, highly contagious. For centuries and more... April Fool's Day has been celebrated with gentle pranks and lots of laughter the world over, from Iceland to India, from Liechtenstein to um, Lebanon, everywhere. Now, in the English tradition, it was at one time called Fool's Holy Day, a feast for all holy fools. Surely that is what we are, all of us, holy fools, or as St. Paul put it, fools for, fools for Christ. Paul also talked about God's foolishness, which is wiser than any human wisdom. Yeah, that foolishness has to do with the gospel and Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. Read the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians. There is no question in my mind or in my soul that God has a serious sense of humor. Right, because that was the whole point of what Paul was talking about there in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, about what a great sense of humor God has. God has a preference for the poor, for the foolish, and for the hilarious. As the author of Psalm 2 put it, the one who sits in the heavens laughs. Yeah, um, we're going to play our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. And so you're going to note that she has said that Psalm 2 um, says that the one who sits in the heavens laughs, as if somehow that is proof that God has a sense of humor. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> let uh, let <laughs> wait. Do you see what this is? This passage is in context. All right, so uh, Psalm two, starting ver- verse one. <clears throat> Are you ready? This is the great God has a sense of humor passage. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Yeah, so uh, Psalm 2 is not about God's great sense of humor. You know, um, because <laughs> he's laughing in derision on those who are about to experience his wrath for rejecting the Messiah. Mm-hmm. That's what Psalm 2 is about. Yep. When I study the messes we human creatures have made on this earth, when I consider what we have done to this aching creation, when I ponder the cruelties we've heaped on one another and the burdens we have left to future generations, it is a comfort to think that when God isn't Heartbroken over our relentless human foolishness, God is laughing uproariously. Right, because that's what Psalm 2 is about. The God's big belly laugh, right? Yeah. At us and with us. We are created in the image of God, who enjoys a good belly laugh, who created a world filled with comedians, the giraffe, the armadillo, the star-nosed mole, the human toddler. We are created in the image of God whose sense of humor is everywhere evident. So much of this world, so much of this earthly life is laughable. A sense of humor is essential. Not only to the... Again, notice uh, the thing she's not preaching about, Christ's vicarious penal substitutionary death and resurrection. Yeah, for our sins, for our salvation. You know, stuff like that. ...of the soul, not only to the health of human relationships, but to the health of the human body. According to Harvard Health Publications, Laughter decreases stress hormones and increases immune cells and infection-fighting antibodies, thus improving one's resistance to disease. Laughter also triggers the release of, you may know this, endorphins, the the body's natural feel-good chemicals. Now, I- so are you laughing enough to experience the endorphin chemical release thingy? A few brave volunteers. Who's a really good laugher? You are. <laughs> okay. No, nobody else here? Nobody's a good laugher? Oh, come on. Ella. Oh, a good la- so people are good at pointing out other good laughers. <laughs> Tom, Tom is a good laugher. Okay. Well, you know, since I I only have Tom volunteering, um, you can laugh in place. But what I'd like you to do, those of you who are good laughers, is to just laugh and to see how contagious it may be. (laughs) So just laugh. So this this is her Easter sun, uh, Sunday sermon. Okay. <laughs> Maeve, you are a good laugher too. 
Laughter is sacred, and it is contagious, and it is a healing gift. In my own life, God always has the last laugh. Think of it. God takes this little, mousy, wallflower, bookworm of a girl who would never dream of speaking in public and turns her into a minister of the gospel. Yeah, I'm not hearing the gospel from you, and God's word forbids women from being pastors. Weird. God takes a young woman who looks down on guy sports with all that grunting and tackling and gives her two astonishingly athletic sons. (laughs) And to top off the joke, turns her into a rabid football fan. (laughs) God always has the last laugh. We might think of the resurrection as a deeply divine last laugh. The resurrection is God's surprising response to the mess of sin and selfishness. The priests and the Pharisees and the Romans, they try to make a joke of Jesus with their sadistic crown of thorns and their sarcastic royal robe, But when all is said and done, the punchline belongs to God, Jesus. Because no matter what they do, no matter what they do to Jesus, by the grace of God, he will rise above it. And no matter how securely they try to bury him, he will rise up. I love the Easter story as told in John's Gospel. Here, the risen Christ is disguised as a gardener. It is, I think, the most humorous of the resurrection accounts. A comedy of errors with a lot of running here and there and a lot of confused coming and going and a lot of unanswered questions. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb looking for Jesus, but the tomb is empty. She runs to the disciples to see if they know anything, and that is the first joke. Because as we know from their often quirky interactions with Jesus, the disciples rarely know anything. So the, the resurrection's a big joke. And we find them clueless again on Easter morning. Then... Beside herself in tears, Mary looks into the tomb again as if to check the emptiness of it. This time there are two angels in there. These celestial beings want to know why she is weeping. What? Are you kidding me? They are angels and they don't know why she's weeping? Don't they know what has happened? The angels never do answer her. Mary turns away from the tomb once more, and suddenly she finds a gardener standing there. The gardener asks the same silly question, woman, why are you weeping? Mary doesn't answer the gardener, but instead asks if he knows anything about the missing body, if perchance he's taken the body off somewhere. She doesn't get it. 
We can well imagine God getting. Apparently, she missed the whole punchline of the joke. Who knew? Good chuckle out of the whole scene when Jesus, disguised as the gardener, takes off his mustache, so to speak, and calls her by name, Mary. And so it is that God continues to surprise us over and over again. And we really shouldn't be surprised because it's the same beautiful face that emerges each time with yet another holy peekaboo. Holy peekaboo. <clears throat> so that's what the resurrection was. I had no idea. It is the surprising face of love overcoming hatred. Uh, yeah, big joke there, yeah. It's the surprising face of grace overcoming vengeance. Uh-huh. It is the surprising face of heavenly life overcoming earthly death. Uh-huh. Where did you get these uh, platitudes from? And so it is that Easter continues to surprise the gathered congregation of holy fools. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen. Okay. Um, wow. That was um, empty. That was underwhelming. That was a non-nutritional meal. <laughs> I mean, what was that thing? It was like a some weird Hallmark greeting card, but it was not a biblical <clears throat> sermon on the resurrection. All right, we're going to change it up. We have a little bit of time here. So uh, before we get to the break, we're going to now enter into the next sermon. This is from contestant number four. Um, this would be David Crank of Faith Church in St. Louis, and his sermon titled Hope is Alive. Here we go. Today, of course, we're celebrating the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that passage, then uh, actually coming from the book of, of Luke. Um, and so in chapter 24, it talks about the risen Savior. And there's one particular passage, if you heard Nicole and I talk today, we kept talking about hope is alive. Because there's nothing really worse than having no hope. You know, it seems hopeless. It's like people get diagnosis and they come up to me and say, man, it just seems hopeless. The doctors say I've only got six months. Can I ask an obvious question? Um, isn't the, the whole point of the resurrection that Jesus is alive? Not exactly hope. I mean, we do have hope because of Christ. But I mean, the whole point is that, you know, Jesus, the guy who was dead on Good Friday, is actually alive on Easter Sunday. You know what I mean? live. And I found the answer to that. Don't pay them. They'll give you another six months. Can I get amen? And, uh, but the hopeless scenarios in life can really, you know, really take you down if you don't keep the right spirit on it, keep the right perspective on it and start speaking words of life, even when it seems like it's not going to work out. Because oftentimes, more times than not, we worry and the pain of worry about something is actually worse than the actual event itself. So, you know, when I look at Nicole up there on that screen, I think about when I lived in a basement apartment in, in Baldwin and I was divorced. All out of love, upset, thought my life would never, ever be good again. And so the only way I knew to comfort myself was comfort food. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? And so I was eating all the wrong things, thinking all the wrong things. And then some people came around me. 
One of which uh, Doug is here tonight, uh, this morning. His friend, I see him sitting out there. And Doug was there in my life. And another guy named Dave. And they were saying, you're going to live again. You're going to love again. It's okay. You've been, you didn't waste eight years of your life. Uh, you figured out what didn't work. And then all of a sudden, God brought Nicole into my life. And if I had seen now how good my life would be, I would not have been hopeless. I, I wouldn't have went through all those depressed states. Because God cared for me. I'm just telling you, he didn't care for me because I was special. He just cares for everybody. And he cares for you. And whatever hopeless situation you're going through today, I'm telling you, you're going to go through it. There's no sense sweating it. Come on, somebody ought to say, man. Because So because of the resurrection, you can go through hopeless situations. This sounds about as empty and vapid as Sarah's your holy peekaboo sermon. God is for you. Who and what can be against you? So there's hope. Keep hope alive. Whatever you do, you know, just say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm overcoming this situation. I'm going to. So do I keep hope alive by resurrecting it or by keeping it on life support? I'm a little confused. This cancer, the odds are not going to defy. I'm going to actually turn this corner and this is going to be a brand new year. And in this passage, chapter 24, there's one particular verse I want to read 21. It says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem us. We were hoping, they'll put it on the screen for you sometime today. Uh, uh, we were hoping that he would be the one. We were hoping. Everybody shout, we were hoping. Yeah, that, that's like way out of context. Uh, by the way, the text in question that he's actually supposedly preaching from it is the story of the account of the road to Emmaus. You can find it in Luke chapter twenty. Luke chapter 24. We'll start at verse 13 so you can see what the context is. Great passage, by the way, and this is one of the core central passages in Scripture that teaches us explicitly that the Scriptures are about Christ. Luke chapter 24, 13, uh, that very day, the day of the resurrection, the day that Jesus walked out of the grave, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were held. That's kind of the way the Greek talks. Their eyes were held. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So so he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood looking sad, and then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So you know, verse 21, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. That's the verse out of context that David Crank has referenced. And then the passage continues. So moreover, some women of our company, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they even had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, or you can even say here the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
And beginning then with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen. He is risen indeed, the text says, and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So Cleopas and his companion now become eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They've seen the risen Christ. And Jesus opened to up the scriptures and showed them all the things concerning himself. Great passage. All of it took place on that very, very first Resurrection Sunday And what is Pastor Crank doing? He's taking one verse from this account to get the word hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And let's see where he goes with this. So sometimes you're hoping, like I was hoping that business would work. I was hoping this situation would change. I was hoping my kids would get off drugs. I was hoping. Yeah, no. um, Luke 24 has nothing to do with hoping the situation would change or hoping your kid would get off drugs What are you doing? You're thinking that there is no hope. If you continue to read this passage, in fact, in 24, it says that Jesus has been resurrected. And this guy that just quoted, that invented that passage right there, his name was Cleo. And Cleo was one of the disciples of Jesus that you don't hear much about. But he left too early. He ends up talking. And who he's talking to is Jesus. He didn't even know it. Jesus appeared to him on this dark road in the evening. And he and this other two disciples, they're just talking. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? Yeah, no, it was not evening when they set out for Emmaus. No, it wasn't. Ted, we were hoping. You haven't heard Jesus? You haven't heard about Jesus? It is Jesus. That's hilarious. He says uh, he was supposed to resurrect on the third day, and it's the third day, and he is not resurrected. How many of y'all know you got to be careful because third day? Yeah, that's not what the text says. The text actually says, we. I just read it out. That it is the third day, and our women amazed us, said that the tomb was empty and that he had risen from the grave. He's not, even in his recounting of the story, he's got it 180 degrees backwards. He's factually incorrect. It's an actual 24-hour day, right? So you're thinking that it could happen in the morning, and it might happen in the evening. You don't know when it's going to happen, but he said it's going to happen on the third day. And they said, we were hoping that he would be resurrected. It's dark, it's dusky, they're on a dirt road, and Jesus is just cocking to them. But he doesn't reveal himself. They don't know who it is. I got to thinking about that passage this week. How many? I'm sure you did. Are you and I walking down some dusty road, hopeless? Jesus is there talking to us, and we're like, you just don't understand. (laughs) Yeah, it's never happened. Jesus has never talked to me while I was on a dusty road. Because, you know, when we sin, by the way, is not when Jesus found out about our sin. Come on, somebody ought to help me. People tell me all the time, and I've done this too, where I'm like, well, I want to break it to God what I did, so I'm going to wait and tell him later. 
He's omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere at one time. He knows when we did what we did. So the best thing we can do is just reveal it. But sometimes we're walking down a path and we don't realize that he is with us. When we're good, he's with us. When we're bad, we're with us. You're a hospital, he's with you. A divorce, he's with you. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you even to the end of the age. Come on, somebody give God praise today. He's the... Okay, we're going to pause that particular sermon right there and uh, go into our first break. Man, this guy is miserable. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're going to continue with... David Crank's totally clueless mishandling of the Bible on Easter Sunday. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Yeah, just up ahead is the path that will lead us to the main highway. Yeah, I, I hear the traffic from here. That was a nice little hike. I do enjoy this trail. It's just a simple three-hour hike. Hey, what's that up ahead? I have no idea. Let's check it out. It looks like a journal of some sort. It's really beat up. Should we read it? Well, we've got nothing better to do. Sounds good to me. Day one. Today is my first day of the Emmaus Walk. My church counselor, Gary Sunshine, told me that if I went out into the wilderness and believed and trusted in Jesus, that Jesus would come and walk with me and communicate to me. So I packed enough provisions to last me for a few days. Day two. Still no sign of Jesus. I've dedicated myself to meditating to bring myself closer to his presence. I hope it happens soon. Day three. I think I figured out what I've been doing wrong. I haven't been trusting Jesus enough with my walk. Now I've decided to go to the deeper parts of this jungle because I don't think that Jesus would associate himself with just the fringes of the forest. I think he needs to see that I'm audacious, so I'm going to forget the comforts I've brought entirely. Looks like some of the pages have been ripped out. It doesn't pick up again until... Day 9. 
Today, my stock of toilet paper ran out, and still no signs from Jesus. I should have enough food to get me back to civilization, but I think that Mr. Sunshine will be disappointed that my journey wasn't more fruitful. I think it's because I wasn't listening hard enough to Jesus. Day nine and a half. I think I'm lost. I think I took a wrong turn. Everything is starting to look really foreign and unfamiliar. Day 14. Today, my tent was attacked by a bear and was ripped to shreds. I just barely escaped, but I'm going to have to start foraging for my own food. I can only hope that I find my way back. Day 34. Today, I came across an indigenous tribe that was building a large metal sphere that looked far superior to any military technology. I was chased by them for about 15 miles. I'm really hungry. Day 42. I don't think I'm ever gonna get out, and I just realized that I don't think I left Mr. Snuggles enough food to make it for this long. So far, still no sign of Jesus or enlightenment. I'm beginning to think that Mr. Sunshine was lying about the Emmaus Walk. Day 88. I think I'm done. I've gone through months of hunting for food with... Nothing more than a spork from Chuck E. Cheese's. I'm not even hungry anymore. I don't think that's good. Day 102. If you're reading this, then I hope that you're not as miserably lost as I am. There's no way out. The Emmaus the walk, walk is, is a, a trap. trap. If your church even so much as suggests the idea, then run for your life, because once you're on that path, there's no going back. I can promise you that Jesus is not in these woods. I can't blame him. I don't want to be here either. I can't do this anymore. I give up. She must have died while writing it. She wouldn't have written... She would have just said it and then died. Well, on any account, we'll never do an Emmaus walk. Yeah, I hear you there. Wait, have you ever heard of any of the mega pastors doing an Emmaus walk themselves? You know what? I haven't. <laughs> Maybe the world would be better off if they did. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. 
That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out. Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, fighting for the faith could cause you to think that Easter Sunday is about Jesus and his victorious resurrection from the grave after he was crucified on the cross for our sins. Just a reminder, fighting for the faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the become a patron button. And uh, let me thank you for your support. And if you'd like to send your contribution in the old-fashioned way, by the way, you do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then sending it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And now let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is um, the rest of David Crank's Hope is Alive Easter sermon where he's already perfectly mangled God's word. We continue. He's the Lord. So I thought it also was cool how, you know, out of all the disciples Jesus could have went to, he knew that Cleo was going to be the sad sack that walked down the road crying about what didn't happen. Because everybody has different personalities. How many of y'all under, know your personality? Raise your hand. You know, you're, you're a phlegmatic, you're a choleric, you're a melancholy. How many of y'all like me and you have multiple personalities? So you're from- Phlegmatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. With all of them, all right. 
So we have this personality trait, and Jesus knew it. Like, my kids are different. Like, Austin, he's uh, pastoring in Florida. Great, great church. It's big like... So was Cleo phlegmatic, choleric, or, you know, which, which one does the text say he was? And, and uh, I started a church there and, and put him in it. And when, I, when Nicole and I got married, he was seven. So I took him as my own son. And, and, uh, but his personality is so different than mine. He's a real, real processor. Like meetings, I'll be in meetings with him tomorrow. And the thing that drives me crazy about being in meetings with Austin is Austin asks so many questions. He's question, 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 question. And then he got it from his mom. Question, 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 question. I'm the guy who's like, hey, let's buy the Earth City campus. We're $600 away from being broke. And if it works, it's God. If it's not, you know, what God? Let's just do it, huh? Oh, yeah, let's go ahead and buy our, you know, Sunset Hills. Well, how much is it going to cost? It doesn't matter. God will provide. And then, then $8 million later, I'm like, well, we should have asked some more questions, maybe. That his personality is more questions. My, my, my daughter, who's 14, her personality is, is she's a sneaker. She sneaks in on stuff. Like yesterday, she came up and she's hugging me and loving me and writing songs about me. And I'm kind of like, oh, man. She's like, oh, I love you, Dad. I love you, Dad. Daddy, Dad. I love my dad. I love. I'm like, yeah, he loves your dad. She's like, let's go to the mall. And then I'm walking down the mall, spending money I don't have to impress people we don't know. Come on, somebody, ought to help me right now because she snuck up on me. And so Jesus knew that his personality was, I thought it was going to happen and it didn't happen. So Jesus goes out of his way. This is his big reveal. He has he is died on the cross. He, he paid the penalty of sin. He went to hell, defeated death, hell in the grave, beat up the devil, comes back. And you'd think he would be like, but Jesus' personality is sneaky. He sneaks up on him. Hey, what are you guys talking about? So Jesus' personality is sneaky. I see. That might be an important trait if he's ever in a pitched battle with the sneaky squid spirit. Understand? If you knew Jesus, he was a good man. He's like, oh, yeah, tell me more. He was, huh? Okay. Yeah, no, that's not how the conversation went down. Now, he sneaks up. Jesus is that way. When he revealed himself here on the earth, you would think that God coming to earth would be like, you know, I'm going to be born in, in a big city, maybe Vatican City, maybe maybe New York City, maybe maybe uh, all these big cities, maybe in Jerusalem. No, no, a little podunk town in Bethlehem. Well, what about a big hotel? What about a big palace? No, no, no. I'm just thinking maybe a manger. He just keeps sneaking in. The disciples are out on a... Yeah, see, the reason Jesus chose to be born in Bethlehem to poverty-stricken parents from Nazareth and, you know, have them put him in a manger is because he's sneaking in. Says no biblical text anywhere. And they're, they're freaking out because there's a storm and then Jesus comes walking to them and they're like, oh, it's a ghost. And he's like, oh, April Fool's, it's me. Come on, somebody. It's me. I- yeah, no, that's not how that story went down either. Just sneaking up on you. I'm just here to tell you that Jesus is sneaky. And maybe the situation that you're going through right now looks horrible. But maybe he's sneaky and he's right here in this divorce. He's right here in. Th- yeah, see, Jesus is being sneaky in the middle of your divorce. Unbelievable. Pain. Come on, somebody. He's right here in this trial. If you won't question God, but you will trust God and you will obey God, I promise you, he will show up. He will show out. And if he shows up and shows out, you're coming out. You're coming out of debt, lack, depression, into freedom because you're blessed, you're favored, you're anointed, you're qualified, you're loved, you're esteemed. Because Yeah, no, 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 no. 
your father is God and Jesus went and defeated hell, death, and the grave and came back. And- yeah, it's true he defeated all of those things, but this big hype applause line thing that you're doing right now, yeah, has nothing to do with it. Gave it to you! Come on! Don't give me a Tiger Woods clap. Let's do let's do a new golf clapping up in here today. Hey! Somebody say hallelujah. So he said, we were hoping that it was somebody. We were hoping that it would turn out different. Sometimes you do hope that it would turn out different. But stuff happens. Life happens. And so I think sometimes in church, you know, maybe, maybe it's your first time to this church. Or maybe you haven't been to church in a long time. Or maybe you're one of the Christians. That's, that's a church? Oh, ooh, sorry. <clears throat> I thought it was something different. You'll come Christmas and Easter. And, and that's fine, you know. But at the end of the day, if your life isn't going so well. Maybe you should add more of this to your diet. They you can say, wait a minute. That's why I preach this message this way today. So you realize that church is real, it is relevant, it's applicable to your life right away. And you can take these- really, uh, twisting God's word makes it relevant. He says, and feel better about yourself because if I know something about you, you have a mind. How many of y'all have a mind? Raise your hand if you have a mind. Over half of you, that's pretty good. How many of y'all have a good mind? Raise your hand if you got a good mind. How many of y'all got a, a sharp mind? Raise your hand if you got a sharp mind. A little less people. Uh, how many next to you got a dirty mind? Point to somebody right here. You got a dirty mind, bad mind. Okay, everybody got a different mind. Well, the Bible said, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And my mind works like this. I want to see if it works like you. So in the middle of the night, maybe last night, I preached a bunch. I, I I was hospitalized on Tuesday, taken out on an ambulance, uh, got preaching in Cuba last week, got some kind of crazy virus, knocked me out, out of my mind, blacking out, and they're hauling me out. And then I'm having panic attacks while this is happening because the last time this happened, like five years ago, uh, the ambulance driver broke my foot. Then they're taking me outside the other night of my house, and then they're like, hey, look, PD, these all because all these cops and, and, and paramedics around here that I live around here, so they love me, and they're like, we hate to scare you, but we're going to put the sheet over your head so you don't get wet, but if your neighbors see this, this is going to be bad. <laughs> so they put the sheet over my head, and I'm like, man, it's going to look good in the newspaper, but I'm I'm so sick. I don't care, but I do care. But then I thought, well, it's resurrection week. I'll be like, he's alive. He's alive. And I forgive it. Come on. Son. And then, then, you know, we have a lot of problems at our house. People break in our house. People break my ribs. People break my hand. People try to hurt us, gun us down. So one guy, one stalker went way too far this week and, and tried something really, really silly with my daughter. He's charged with nine counts of stupidity. He's in the jail today. So that happened. And there was a lot of stuff happening. And, and when all this was happening, I was kind of feeling like, God, this is a bad thing. It's hard being me. <laughs> and I started having a pity party. And you know the pity party is the, the smallest attended party of any party of, that's ever been party? It's like a pity party is just you and the devil. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but your mind starts thinking bad things. And sometimes in the middle of the night, your mind can do crazy things and get to going. Anybody in your mind ever get really going fast in the middle of the night? Have it ever been going so fast that you thought, I need to get up and write all these things down that I'm thinking about right now because I might not remember them tomorrow because you've worried enough in the middle of the night to realize once you faint from exhaustion and then you finally wake up, you go, what the heck was I worried about last night? I don't remember what it was. You, you relate to what I'm saying. So if you've got this thing going on in your mind, you have to learn to control your mind. And one of the ways that we control our mind is this. We have to think about Jesus being on the cross. And now, just like Cleo, he's walking and he's depressed and thinking and crying about what didn't happen. And he's having a pity party about it. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, hey, hang on a minute. Really why I'm here is to comfort you right now. Because not only did I die for you not to go to hell, those, those, those stripes on the back, those, those were for healing. But also that throne. 
Now comes the word of faith, prosperity, false gospel. So Jesus took stripes on the back so that you can experience divine health. Of crowns upon my head, that was because I knew the biggest problem you were going to have was between these appendages on the side of your head. And I'm here to tell you... So Jesus wore a crown of thorns for your, your mental health, right? That you have nothing to worry about because I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I'm going to take care of you. Come on, somebody. I'm going to meet all your needs according to my riches and glory. I'm going to satisfy you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to take care of you. The problem is, though, you don't even know it's me. I'm right here, right beside you. And in this darkness. Text says their eyes were held. In this trial of being overwhelmed by a lot of obstacles, you've allowed that thing to become bigger than God. So now God wanted to give you a promotion, but first he's got to give you a promise. Right. He wants to give you a promotion, but first things first, promise first. Okay. I'm talking to you, Weldon. I'm talking to everybody online right now. I'm saying that God knows exactly where you are this Sunday and he wants to take care of you. Everybody said he's going to take care of me. In the last remaining moments here, I want us to go to verse 30. It says, now it came to pass. And that's a good one. Everybody shout. Now it came to pass. Shout it with me. I can almost hear Weldon Springs. Let's say it again. What? That's good. So if your mother-in-law came to spend the winter, now it came to pass. (laughs) Now it came to pass that he sat at the table with them. He took bread, blessed it. And broke it and gave it to them. And sounds a lot like the Lord's Supper to me. And their eyes were opened and they knew that it was him. He now prepares this table before them. They're, they're in his room. And Jesus now signifies what had just happened on the cross where he took his body and he broke it. And when he's preparing this table before him in the presence of the enemies of their thought, so all of a sudden they look at his hands. They're like, oh my gosh, look at the holes. It's Jesus. He revealed himself right there. And may I suggest to you that it's in your brokenness that God reveals himself to you. Uh, Really? (laughs) This is painful. Yeah, that's just absurd. A weird sentimentalizing of the text in what you just said cannot be justified exegetically at all. We continue. On the screen a minute ago, 20 years ago, I got her to go to Clayton, Missouri and sign a contract that says she has to be with me the rest of her life. (laughs) I loved her so much. After about five years, I tattooed her name to my arm. Then my hands swell up a lot because I fly a lot. I flew here and fly back to our city. Their helicopter back. So you're going up and down and your hands are swelling all the time. And so I can't wear a wedding ring a lot of times. So she told me she loved me so much about five years ago. She said, hey, I want you to tattoo your, my, uh, you know, a wedding ring on your finger. And I'm like, yes, I like it. So I put a ring on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she sit there and let it because she wants everybody to know that boy is mine. And I'm like, I don't even know what she sees in me, but she believes in me and she loves me. I'm just here to tell you that I went through all the brokenness and now I have something that is whole. When my dad died at St. Anthony's Hospital at 56 years old, it was a broken, perilous, dumb time in my life. But it was in the brokenness that this church was born. Because actually the stuff that I preach about every week, it's stuff that I went through. So when people say, well, you've never been divorced. Oh, yeah. You've never been depraved. Oh, oh, depressed. Oh, yeah. Oh, you've never been, you know, financially in trouble. Oh, yeah. Well, you've, you've never, ever, 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 ever had, you know, somebody that you love more than life itself just die right there in your arms. Yeah, yeah, I have. I've had all these things happen. What about a miscarriage? What about my wife, Nicole, having stage four cancer and God delivering her? I've been through some stuff. But at the end of the day, the brokenness brings forth, come on, somebody, the ministry. 
ministry in your life. So if you've been through some stuff, if you've been through some rough patches... Yeah, how about that stuff Jesus went through? You know, flogging, nailed to a cross, bleeding, dying. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And then rising again from the grave. If the devil said you weren't going to make it, if you feel like, man, I don't even know how long I'm going to live because I've had the air knocked out of me. And if you're more than four years old, you can say, man, to a lot of this stuff, God has a plan for you. The devil has a plan for you. The devil's plan is bad to kill, to steal and destroy. Well, then, but God's plan. Yeah. John chapter 10, the, you know, the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. That's talking about false teachers. Yeah. Not really the devil is good and he came that we might have life and since he paid such a big price we need to enjoy our life embrace our life love our life yeah jesus paid such a big price you need to enjoy your life love our life somebody ought to shout amen to the full till it overflows because see see, i got three minutes and 32 seconds to finish well get on with it because you really haven't even really gotten started I feel like a blind dog in a meat house. I don't know where to go. You know, it's like. (laughs) Or a mosquito to a nudist colony. Come on. I don't know where to bite. It's like, so much to do. Okay. So here, uh, so I I wrap this up in two minutes and 36 seconds. If I were to sum up everything that I've said today, God wants to be with you. Hmm. God wants to be with me. Wow. Okay. He wants to walk along a, a dirty, dusty, dark trail. When He wants to go on an Emmaus walk with me. Really? How do you figure? Living in a basement apartment with no furniture because my wife took it all. I don't know if you heard of the divorce Barbie, but it comes with all kin's stuff. So now I don't have anything but me, a cat, which don't judge me, <laughs> and my motorcycle in this apartment. You talk about feeling lonely. You feel like you lost everything. But I had some people surrounding me. And this is what's so important. This is why church is so important. When you get involved in a church, I'm not talking about Baptist, First Presbyterian, Catholic, Lutheran. All these are great churches. And all those work as long as they point back to Jesus. But I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus that puts you around other people. Because sometimes you got to let go of what you thought was going to Right. You can only find other people at David Crank's church. You can't really find other people at those other churches. Right. Yeah. So you can grab on to what God knows is going to be. And in the brokenness of those moments, you'll be able to be who you're called to be. Because after all, you've got to be you. Because nobody else can be a better you than you. And God knew that you were going to do that. God knew that they were going to do that. He knew that you would be betrayed. He knew that this setback would happen. Yeah, you would be betrayed. I I thought the story of Jesus' death and resurrection includes him actually being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. You put the emphasis totally on the wrong syllable. He said, hang on a minute. I'm going to take this mess and I'm going to make a message out of it. I didn't know that I would pastor the biggest black church in St. Louis. I'm white. Well, if you know that, I'm actually black trapped in a white man's body. Come on, Lord. Somebody ought to say amen. Oh, Lord Jesus. So I didn't know that God would, would give us Earth City. I didn't know that God would give us Weldon Springs. I didn't know God would give us a church in Florida, two of them. I didn't know that God would do this. All I knew was this is it, and I have nothing, and I am nothing, and I've ruined my life. 
Through stupid decisions. But then God goes, hey, now that you're broken, he revealed himself to me. And I could see those holes in his hands. I could see those holes in his feet. I can see the piercing in his head on his side. And now I know that if he loved me, he loved you. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling you, 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 and you. That if God planned it, he's going to settle it. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. And no, Yeah, uh, faith in him for what exactly? Informed against you will prosper, and no matter how hell tries to stop you, you keep on going and you say, I will start the business, I will live my dream, I will come out blessed, I will come out healed, I will come out delivered. I declare it and I declare it in the name of Jesus. And everybody, I decree it, I declare it, I'm gonna yell it, and then none of that decreeing, declaring, or yelling is gonna make any of that nonsense true. Amen. Come on, give God praise today. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience, getting ready to help people make decisions. I don't know what he's trying to get him to make and to decide on at this point, but we continue. Y'all go ahead and stand with me, all campuses. Come on, Weldon, stand up. I want to pray for you and with you. Pray for me today. I got to do this about seven more times with that intensity. I got to get in shape. I promise you I did. I think I'd be in better shape if it wasn't for Krispy Kreme coming to our town. But I pray today that that sinks into your heart. I pray that you realize that church is not like something that is optional. It's where you come, man, to get refreshed, replenished, renewed, revived, redeemed. It's what you need to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around here in Weldon Spring. God can see your hand. I know Pastor Paul, Pastor Phil, all y'all out there at Weldon. Raise your- all right, so now comes the all heads down, eyes closed technique. If you say, Pastor, I needed this today, I feel encouraged. Raise your hand if that's you. All right, so back in the day when, you know, I remember how altar calls used to go. You know, they would have every head bow and every, eyes, every eye closed so that um, people could... You know, uh, point their put their hand up and say, "Yes, Pastor, I'm a sinner and I need a savior." Um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's generally how that went. But uh, um, so he wants every head bowed and eyes closed. And the first question he asked them: How many of you were encouraged? You can put it back down. How many of you would like for me to pray a strengthening prayer for you right now before I go? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. Altar call with a complete raise your hand if you'd like a strengthening prayer prayed for you. Are you making this up? Yeah, the answer is no, he's not making that up. Wow. Let me do that. Father, right now, I've done. Yeah, I think you get the point. Complete with an altar call for a strengthening prayer. Yeah, no one was brought to penitent faith in Christ that Sunday at Faith Church in St. Louis for the forgiveness of their sins. Far from it. Yeah, they learned a lot about, well, David Crank uh, and his wife and his divorce and his child stalker and, you know, things like that. And that he's an airplane, he likes to fly airplanes and stuff. But, uh, yeah, no, we really didn't learn anything substantive regarding Jesus. That's kind of strange, don't you think? Considering that, you know, the resurrection from the grave is kind of a big deal, and you think maybe somebody might want to mention that on Easter Sunday. 
Yeah, strange how that works. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're heading to Kensington Temple to listen to contestant number... Uh, what, five? Yeah. Synergy of the Resurrection. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck. Because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. so hard getting through this week you haven't heard the ones that didn't make the cut you have been spared you have had mercy I've had to <laughs> plow through all of this garbage <laughs> let's do this right since we're in the second hour Hey, ho! The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Kensington Temple. Christian Lythe 
presiding, the name of the message is the Synergy of the Resurrection. And uh, this is one of those weird ones where he's trying to kind of shoehorn charismatic and Pentecostal theology into the resurrection, and it just ends up resulting in the sermon not making much lucid sense at all. That's the only way I can describe it. So let's not belabor the point. Let's get to it. Here's contestant number five, Christian Live and the Synergy of the Resurrection. Here we go. I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. Uh, this verse, re- which, by the way, is a great place to go if you're going to preach a, you know, resurrection sermon. Yeah, one of the gospels dealing with the resurrection accounts would probably make a lot of sense. So, I had a lot of hope for this one, at least at this point. Um, impacted me recently, and um, it's not a verse that is not known to me, but it's something that I've really prayed over on a regular basis. And it just impacted me in a fresh and new way. So turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. And uh, just reading from verse 1. Just a, a few things as we, as we begin. We want to welcome those who are watching us online. And uh, what do we want to believe God for? Is that the move of God would penetrate and touch people online as they're simply watching. And also those things that are recorded online that you can go over and watch them online and yet receive that same anointing. What simply helped me at the beginning of my faith was... So your hope is that the people online would receive an anointing. Okay... I watched sermons after sermons after sermons, uh, and sermons that had impacted me. So it's not just watching a sermon because you just wanted to catch up. You missed, missed the resurrection day, so you decided to catch up on the message. But sermons that touched you, sermons that changed you, and you decided to listen to them, and they decided to get the word deep within your heart. Because if you don't get the word deep within your heart, it can't... Yeah, in order to get the, deep, the word deep within your heart, you might want to start, you know preaching and exegeting that word right there in Mark. Get on it, man. So you've got to ask God to get the word deep in your spirit. And so if there's message that has touched you this week uh, in the prayer week, then get those messages. If those messages appear online, get those messages. Start to go over those messages and ask God to come and transform your life. Here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, let's read from verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Madeline... Got to give him props for at least reading out a text. Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices and that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb. And when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And when they had looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in long white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, whom you, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he was going before him into Galilee, and there you will see him. And as he said to you, so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Something that really impacted me about this verse. Um, when I was- that was more than one verse there, guy, uh, yeah, <clears throat> Christian. Through it about three weeks ago. It says that they had this amazing encounter and this amazing experience with an angel. 
Now I know in Christian circles, we really want an encounter with God. We want to see angels. How many people want to see angels? Some people that are... Um, yeah, what if I told you, you know, I'll leave all that up to God and, you know, I have no desire one way or another to see an angel. I'm pretty sure I'll eventually see one after I die, you know. How about that? We've seen angels. We want to encounter the glory of God. And here in this passage, here are the, the women. They're, they're going in the very early morning. I want to tell you today, if you want to move of God in your life, then it's going to Im- impact your mornings. How many people like sleep? Amen. It's going to impact your morning. Uh, what? So if I want to have a movement of God in my life, I have to be ready to have my mornings impacted. Why? Well, because, you know, Mark 16, the women went early to the tomb. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's going to cost you something. You know, God doesn't give encounters out and experiences out for people who are not ready to sacrifice. See, you have to give up something. Uh, God's got something quality for you. And here they are early in the morning. Now, they're not going there to get anything. They're just there to anoint the body, go through the motions, do the natural thing. But during their natural early morning wake up, then suddenly they have this experience with God. And then it says here, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us. So they were thinking, naturally speaking. But when they looked up, something different had happened. The stone had rolled away. Now, I believe that during morning prayers, as you get up faithfully in morning prayer, something is going to start happening to you. Yeah, Why do you think something's going to start happening to me as I wake up early and faithfully for morning prayer? Just because you're twisting Mark 16 in the account of the women visiting the tomb. Uh, I'm not seeing it. Stones in your life are going to start to move, amen? I don't know about you, but... Oh, yeah, let me back that up. The stones in my life are going to start moving. Happening to you. The stones in your life are going to start to move, amen? No, I can't say amen to this. This is utter nonsense. I don't know about you, but I've found that as I begin to wake up, at 640, six, not 645, but 6.45 every morning, challenging myself, not every day, but as much as possible, set my alarm clock, that things are being different. Things are being different for me. Now, as you think about natural things, they were thinking about natural things. Now, the stone, they were thinking, how are we going to roll away the stone? Naturally speaking. And sometimes we're caught up in natural things. We try to have natural answers to supernatural things. We want things to shift spiritually. but we're Yeah, I'm pretty sure that stone was not a supernatural problem. It was 100% a natural problem. What is this weird dichotomy you're making regarding the stone and natural and supernatural things? This is not what this text is about. Busy doing natural things. Now, I liken this to the chicken and the eagle because the chicken is always having the head down like this. And this is what we're like. We have our head down and we're trying to get God to answer us and we're thinking, what's going to happen to the stone? How are things going to happen in our lives? And our head is down on a consistent basis. In fact, Right, our head's down, you know, because chickens. That, that's the reason. Okay. If you, just in the, purely in the natural, then you suddenly get caught up in circumstances and situations. Now, if you're seeking God and you want something to move in your life, you can bet something's going to happen to you. Someone's going to annoy you. Someone's going to get right up your skin. Now, if someone gets... Well, the, yeah, you're right, Christian. You're annoying me with this twisting of God's word. You've succeeded there, yeah. 
inside of your skin, then you can't stop thinking about that person. Now, if, you, if you're me, and someone gets up my skin, then I'm thinking, in a, in a fleshly way, I'm thinking, when can I knock that person out? Now, not physically, maybe. You know, I, I know that I have to be very, very on guard, because one day, I was on the train. And to be honest, as far as I was concerned, I was in revival. I was listening to my iPod, I was listening to worship, and I was experiencing the presence of God. And then somebody just barged me off the train. And immediately, within seconds, something just rose up inside of me. It was not the Holy Spirit. And I was just thinking, I'm going to knock this guy out. And suddenly, I felt the voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, Christian, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Walk away. Walk away. Now... Back in the day, when, when we were playing football, if someone punched me, I'd just punch them back. It wouldn't, if split seconds, I wouldn't even have that chance of the Holy Spirit to warn me. I would just do it straight away because I was naturally minded. But when you want to be spiritually minded and you're open to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can speak to you and he can stop you doing something dangerous. Right, yeah, because the Holy Spirit stopped the women from doing what dangerous thing again in Mark 16? Yeah, this is so weird. They were looking for a natural roll in the way of the stone. And then the stone had been rolled away. And, and the Bible says they looked up. See, an eagle looks up. Amen. No, no, the, the, by the way, there were no chickens mentioned in Mark 16 either. Nor were there any eagles mentioned in Mark 16. So I'm glad that, you know, eagles look up. I thought eagles look down while they're soaring. You know, that's what I thought about them. Who knew? I guess apparently I was wrong. Christian Lyde says they look up. <laughs> yeah, but only chickens look down. He looks up to God. He soars. You see, the Bible says, lift up your eyes. Where comes your help? Your help comes from the Lord. Now, these women, they were going through stuff. They were going through situations. Yeah, those women, they went through stuff. Yeah, you know, we all go through stuff and stuff. Jesus, their Lord, had passed away. So naturally speaking, they were going through emotions. They were going through fear. They were going through anxiety. They were going yeah, I'm going through emotions listening to this terrible sermon. Through worry. And I've got a funny feeling that that was the simple reason why they did nothing. They did nothing. They, they, they did nothing. They were perfectly worthless because they were, they were going through stuff. Amazing experience, but because they were gripped with fear... Because they were gripped with anxiety, because they were gripped with stuff, it stopped them being effective for God. Now, we've had an amazing... Yeah, they were totally ineffective for God because they were going through stuff. Right. Mark 16 doesn't say that. Luke doesn't say that. John doesn't say that. Matthew doesn't say that either. Haven't we? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, and Friday afternoon. But we really need to work deeper in our hearts and allow God to change those fears in our lives. Because if we have those fears and we have those anxieties, now God is working on you, amen? You're a work in progress. But if you have... Amen, I'm glad I'm a work in progress. Fear and those anxieties and those stresses, they're going to hinder you from moving forward with God. Because right, stresses and anxieties, they hinder you. As they did absolutely nothing, I would have thought if they had an encounter with an angel. Because it says here, it says, go and tell Peter. Go and tell my disciples quickly. But they trembled and they were amazed and they said nothing to anyone. They didn't do anything. They were so gripped. Now, when I came to KT, we were challenged to go out onto the streets and evangelize. And somebody said to me, Christian, I believe that God's called you to speak and to preach the gospel. And um, I used to be in a choir, believe it or not, amen. 
I used to be in a choir at, at age 15, and we used to be on TV on the BBC and uh, in the northeast. And, and I remember they used to ask us to give testimony. And I used to be filled with all this anxiety and this stress. I never really knew it was there until I started getting asked to come forward and share testimony. I'm talking about the type of fear where you're, you're literally, your legs shaking. I mean, I remember doing my driving test. Anybody done a driving test? And you try- Well, you know, the fear of public speaking is uh, one of the greatest fears that uh, a lot of people th- suffer from. Yeah. Reverse park and you're just like this. And you're looking at your legs and saying, what are you doing? I'm trying to reverse here. Because of the type of fear that grips you, it disables you. It stops you being effective for God. And God wants to remove that stuff. And remember, the youth pastor, he looked at the back. And I remember, as we were in the choir, I would just be hiding because my heart would start beating. I'd get all nervous. And one time he asked me to come forward. And I was standing at the front at age 16. And I was thinking to myself, my God, what am I going to say? And I just said, Jesus, Jesus loves you. And I just legged it back as quickly as possible. Because fear can grip you. These people were in fear. They were anxious. They, they, they lost their Lord. If you've ever lost somebody, you know you went through this stuff. So I came to KT with this word from somebody saying, you, you're going to preach. And I, I sat down with Bruce Atkinson down in the lower hall. And I said, I believe God's called me to preach. I've never preached before. And he said, go and serve the missions department. And I remember going out on the streets. And one of the guys was saying, why don't you preach? And I said, well, I'm going to pray. I feel anointed to pray. And so I'd be praying and praying and praying. Partly because I was scared of preaching. But also because I, I felt there was an anointing on my prayer. And I was really connecting with God. I was having some God encounters. And one of the guys said, you know, when you pray, I feel the anointing. And I felt like saying, yes, I'm going to continue to pray. You're going to continue to feel the anointing. Because I'd see him walking up in the street preaching like this. And I think, how could you possibly do that? How could you possibly? How can you possibly think that any of this has anything to do with the account of Christ's bodily resurrection from the grave from Mark 16? I'm just going to keep praying. Maybe one day God will change me. See, these disciples, it goes on if you read verse 9. Now, when he arose early in the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Madeline, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went out and told those as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive, when they heard that he was alive, when they heard that he was alive, they did not believe. They did not believe. And after he appeared in another form to two of them, as they walked and went into the country, they went and told her the rest, but they did not believe them either. They did not believe even though the women told them, even though two others, allegedly maybe the people on the road to Emmaus, two people who'd encountered Jesus and said, he's alive, he's alive, come and see him. Bam. No, I don't believe. I don't believe. What was that? They were gripped by fear, anxiety, and troubles. I call it fat. Amen. God wants to remove the fat. Fear, anxiety, and trouble. He wants to remove the fat from your life. I had a picture this week about somebody who's coming to church with these big, fat African suitcases. You know the ones you try to get extra kilos on as you fly back home to Nigeria? These big ones, yeah? And you come in every week and you're putting them down at the altar. But the problem is you're not leaving them at the altar. You're just carrying them back to your house again. And it seems you're carrying all these weights around in your life, these fat troubles, these fat anxieties, these fat fears, and God wants to deliver you. He wants you to leave these suitcases at the front, amen? And he wants to bring freedom into your life. And often these fears can hinder us and hold us back. So I remember 
when I finally defeated that first level of fear when it came to preaching. Here, it says in verse 14, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. See, I was in a position where somebody had said, God's called you to do something. God's called you to preach. But there was fears in my life. So what did I do? This text is not about you being called to preach and experiencing fear and anxiety regarding public speaking at all. Nothing. No. I decided I've got to do something. I came to Bible school in KT. And even that wasn't enough to break the fear because I was going out during the Bible school. So what else did I do? They were saying, hey, there's some missions happening. Now, this is the Great Commission. This is a mission. Jesus, the last words of Jesus. He says to the disciples, now bear in mind, they're weak, they're fearful, they're anxious, they're stressed, they've lost their friend, they've lost the Messiah, they've lost, they've lost him. They're dealing with the emotion of all this stuff, as well as the fear of the Roman soldiers and society. They're gripped with fear. And then Jesus comes, he rebukes them, and then he commissions them. He believes in them. And I want to tell you today, he believes in you, amen? Despite the things that you're going through, despite your troubles, despite... So Jesus believes in me. Says no biblical text anywhere. Circumstances, despite your weaknesses, Jesus cares, amen? And in the midst of your cares, he commissions you and he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a confidence booster for me. That's a confidence booster. Jesus, amidst all the issues that I have, amidst all the difficulties that I have... They're not issues, they're sins. All the the, the fact that I have these amazing experiences. How many people have had amazing experiences with Jesus? I've had some amazing experiences. I mean, fire falling. We've had oil. Someone someone saw someone, like an angel, spray some oil on some guy's head out out of just out of the, the atmosphere. And he fell. He saw oil drop on someone's head out of the atmosphere. Yeah, I would be highly skeptical there. And he was commissioned just here in the Bible school. We've had oil in people's hands. We've had amazing experiences. But yet, sometimes we still find ourselves in a situation where we're doing nothing. We find ourselves, God, I still can't wake up at 6.45. I still can't wake up at 6.45. I'm trying. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm going to switch my light on. I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to stay awake at night. I'm going to keep worshiping the Lord despite whether I fail him or not. And in the midst of my failures, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. See, I believe that Jesus is not taking away our difficulties, not taking away our weaknesses, but in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of our difficulties, he is going to anoint us and he's going to lift us up to a completely different level. Amen. And he said, no, I can't say amen to that. Where are you getting that? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So how did I work on my fears? Well, Philip Whitehead, who's the director of evangelism at that time, had a, a mission in Finland. And this is how it started for me. So we're hearing more of the uh, autobiography of Christian life. Yeah, that makes no sense. On any Sunday, yet alone the day that Christ rose from the grave. Now... 
nothing's really changed in God challenging me here in the church. Because on Wednesday night, Colin had texted out some texts and said, get some people uh, to be ready to preach this week. And I noticed that I wasn't on the list, but I prepared anyway. I prepared anyway, and I felt I was encountering God and had a message. And I preached on Thursday, being caught up. And you can only give that which God has given you. Amen? You can't give something that God hasn't given you. And you have to believe that God's able to multiply it. Now, if it's tiny, then he can multiply it and make it big. If it's big, then he can make it even bigger. But whatever he gives you, you know, you can't use someone else's gift. You can only use your gift. And so I basically signed up for this finished mission. And Phil White, and he just said, tomorrow you're going to preach. What? Where? Where am I going to preach? You're going to preach right in front of the, in the evangelism crusade in town. You're going to preach the gospel. And how are you going to do it? Well, I thought, I've never preached before. This is a guy who's in the choir. When I'm asked to preach, I'm getting all nervous and I'm, I'm shaking and my legs are shaking. And now he's asked me to preach. What am I going to do? He gave me a little bit of wisdom. He said, just use one verse, preach that verse, and then that's enough. So I wrote down the verse, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. <laughs> Very easy. So the music was playing. Everybody, Fabio and the team, they weren't there then, but something similar to that. Amazing worship. The presence of God was there. Some Finnish people listening, some people drinking beer. And here's me, just 18 years old, standing up, shaking and ready to say, God, Lord, all my fears, all my worries, all my anxieties, all my stresses come into the service. And I'm saying, God, I'm willing. I know you've called me and I've got this verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So I keep repeating it to myself. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Wages of sin, all you have to do, Christian, is just say the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life. All you need to do, Christian, is say the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. All you need to do is say wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so I got up there, and that's exactly what I did. I said it three times. I said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen. I went back. <laughs> but i tell you something that happened. When I did that, something broke off me. Something broke off me. Like a fender or something? Something broke up me, and I know there's two things. One, you've got, you've got to be willing to move forward with God. And you've got to trust God that he's going to deliver you from your weaknesses. So you've got to be willing to move forward. You take one step, God takes another step. He helps you. This he- has nothing to do with the resurrection of Christ or Mark 16. Helps you move forward. And I'm calling this message the synergy of the resurrection because it says the Lord worked with them. We'll read it in a moment. He worked with them. So you're not working alone, despite your fears, despite your anxieties, despite your troubles. Where does it say in Mark 16 that the Lord worked with them? Despite the things that are holding you back, you're not working by yourself. You're working with Jesus. Hallelujah. You're working with him and he's doing a work in you. And when he's completed a work in you, you will rise to the level that he has required of you. Amen. He. Uh, no, I can't say amen. How do you figure? Uh, show me that from the Bible, please will cause you to accomplish the destiny that it has for you. That's how it started me. I came back to London on that verse, Ephesians. I mean, not Ephesians, I just made that up. Romans 6 verse 23. Romans 6 verse 23. And I came back with that scripture. 
And I went to the street and something was different. We prayed our usually two hours. We worshipped God. And I said to the guy who was leading the team, I said, listen, I'm ready. I want to preach. And he let me preach. And I remember getting on the platform. It was not a platform like this. It was a ladder. Just a little two-step ladder. You ever preached on a ladder before? Francois, yeah? Just a two-step ladder. Now, I'm still working out this forgiveness issue because one of my cell members that had this ladder for about two years, I preached on it for two years in Leicester Square. It was very sacred to me. I said to him, never, ever lose that ladder. Never, ever lose that ladder. He took it to Hackney, got a new place. He moved out in three weeks. I said, where's my ladder? He said, he left it there. (laughs) So anyway, I released forgiveness on him. We used to preach on these ladders. And I got on that ladder. And I remember preaching that same message. The the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And whatever happened, it was like God started to blow into my sails. I started preaching there for about one hour. One hour, just preaching the gospel. Preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. Until I had no voice left. I got down and drank some water. It was throwing it down with rain. I went to the empire, outside the empire. We stood up, we put our little thing there. I got back up and I started to screech out, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. Why? What was happening in me? There was a change happening in me. There was a working of God happening in me. God was setting me completely free from the fear of man. From the fear of preaching. From the things that had hindered me. And God wants to do the same for you. He understands exactly. Really? Uh, God wants to do that same thing because you went through it? Or that's what Mark 16 teaches? Because I still haven't seen you explain that. What you're going through. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That word preach there is the word caruso. It means to shout out. Yeah, what about gospel? Gospel is, according to 1 Corinthians 15, defined as the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, was raised again on the third day for, you know, for justification. Yeah, you might want to read 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Focus on what the gospel actually means. I'd like to hear it, please. It means to shout out, to herald out the gospel. So there goes the seeker-sensitive movement, amen? To shout out, to do something, to shout out. Sometimes you have to be quiet, and sometimes you have to be loud, amen? And some of you who are quiet need to get loud, and some of you who are loud need to get quiet. He who believes in me and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then verse 19, So then, after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out, and they preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. The Lord working with them. The Lord working with them. That word working with them is the word sonergio in the Greek. And it is, I don't know if I pronounced it right, but basically it means synergy. You working by yourself cannot do it. But you working with God. It's you working with God. The Lord worked with them. The Lord worked with them. And as the Lord was working with them, he confirmed his word through the accompanying signs. The accompanying signs. The Lord worked with them. We're in a church right now where George... Yeah, I hate to break it to him, but that's the long ending of Mark and uh, probably not part of the original autographs. So his whole main point of a sermon is actually based upon a text that probably wasn't even written by Mark. He's opened this building 
and they used to go up and down the country, and they believed that the Lord would work with them. They simply believed it. They believed. Now, they set up shop in a building like this, in town, maybe a town hall, and they had the services. And they were believing for God to confirm his word by signs following. So they had the meetings, maybe some small. They started off small with a few, five, ten people, nothing much happening. And then there was a miracle that took place. Maybe someone came out of a wheelchair. Maybe someone who was blind started to see. And that was the breakthrough. Suddenly, You said there was a miracle. You said it might be this or might. Which one was it, by the way? And do you have evidence of it? Next night, the building was packed. And they would have these miracle campaigns for five days, seven days, maybe a couple of weeks. And suddenly, crowds of people started to come, and they just believed God. That God would work with them. God would work through them. See, if you've ever been in a place where you've got tired, anybody ever felt tired before? Tired? I mean, I felt tired this week. I said to Tori, Yeah, I feel tired listening to this drivel. How do we manage this? I want to get to the point where I can manage this. We go to the Wednesday night, the Thursday night, the Friday morning, the Friday afternoon. Friday night, I don't even know if I'm alive or dead. I'm like, I'm confused. I'm saying, God, I know I felt your presence there. I'm not feeling feeling your presence now. What am I doing? And so I said to Toy, and I said, listen, what we need to do is a little top up here and a little top up there. Suddenly we experience God in different levels. Life is not about to be mountains and valleys because if you're a mountain valley person, what happens when you're not on a mountain and valley? You know, what happens in the middle? Sometimes we need to get a, a bit of balance, a bit of, I'll call it buoyancy in our spirit. And so what I did was I just switched on some sermon. Right, so we, we need some buoyancy in our spirit because, you know, Mark 16. Right. I just lay there with a cup of tea and I let the word of God just wash over me and keep me buoyant. And some of you need to hear that today when you're going through busyness and you haven't got a time to really spend that. He's very buoyant, you know. Hour with God. Uh, maybe to remove that anxiety or that fear or that difficulty, you're still feeling that stuff. I mean, feelings will always be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling stuff right now. But despite your feelings, you suddenly you need to feed your spirit. That's why worship music is good, amen? Worship music is Yeah, I would say most of the stuff that passes is worship music is not good, good for you or good for your soul. To just play that and make yourself feel buoyant. Now... That's good to make you feel happy because that's worship music, the anointing come up on you. But when you pray at 6.45 in the morning and you make your sacrifice to God, what is that doing? It's feeding yourself internally. So, throughout the week, you're busy. You're trying to feed yourself with some word and some worship. But don't forget to do the deep stuff because God wants to work a work in you in order to work a work through you. Amen? God wants to work a work in you before he works a work through you. Now, how did it happen? How did it happen? It says in Luke 24, verse 49, to wait in Jerusalem till you've been clothed with power from on high. I don't know if that chair's still there. Gabriel, if you could get that for me. I mean, this is like, you know, not preaching the text at all. You know, just like inserting yourself into the sermon and just telling us everything about you and and whatever comes to the top of your head without actually studying the text, exegeting the text, proclaiming Christ, you know, things like that. I used to think that in the book of Acts, these guys were just crazy like me. And they, 
They, they were doing kind of in Acts chapter one, chapter two, they were just, they were having what I would call a Nigerian all night prayer meeting. <laughs> that was my picture in my head. How many people believe that they were having a Nigerian all night prayer meeting in Acts chapter two? I mean, they were just going for it. They were binding demons. They were shaking heaven. They were shaking hell. They were just going for it. They were saying, oh God, we're waiting for your power. Lord, we're waiting for heaven to come. We're waiting for a mighty rushing wind. That's what they were doing. That's what I used to think that they were doing. If you read the book of Acts, we won't turn to it. It says that the Lord filled the whole house where they were sitting. Suddenly there was a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were... Turn your Bibles and read it. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were... Hallelujah! Jesus Lord! Hallelujah! Send your fire! No. Where they were sitting. If you go back to Mark 16, what did Jesus do? What was he doing? Later he appeared to them where they sat at the table. Where they sat at the table. Right, yeah, all the sitting was going on. So are you, you sitting so that you can be clothed with power from on high? Is that your point? He says in Luke 24 verse 49, to tarry in Jerusalem till you've been clothed with power from on high. Now that word tarry means to wait. Mm. It means to wait in expectation. So what God's saying to us, before we go out and be effective, we have to wait for his working on the inside of our lives. He works in us as we sit at his feet. Mary and Martha, what was Mary doing? She was just sitting at the Lord's feet. She was mesmerized by his teaching. And as she was mesmerized by his teaching... Yeah, this text doesn't actually teach that. You've literally inserted into the text, but it's not there. She was being changed on the inside. And I believe that's exactly what God is calling us to do. The vision week where we had prayer and fasting and seeking God. Yeah, are you sitting at the feet of Jesus so you can be transformed and clothed with power? I mean, they had vision week, you know. This week of refreshing and prayer, the, pen, the, the prophetic Pentecost conference where Paul Cain and Ken Gott are going to come. See, it's not about just these guys coming in in the mountaintops, but God wants us to start to wait on him. Because as we start to wait on him, suddenly we will hear a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it will... No text promises us that. That's bizarre. ...to fill our house, fill our home. Because I don't know about you, I don't want just to experience God in church. I want to experience God in my house. I want to experience God in my car. I want to experience God when I'm arguing. Based on how you're mishandling this passage and the fact that you've missed the whole point of what the resurrection is about, I just have to ask the question, have you ever really experienced God? Guy, whether evolution is real or whether God exists or not, I want God to break in. I want something different to happen in my life. I'm tired of my weaknesses. I'm tired of my struggles. So therefore, how am I going to get the answer to that stuff? I'm simply going to have to wait on God. I'm simply going to have to get the word working deep down in my spirit. See this word synergy or the word energy, God working in me. It's in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. God works in you, energizes and creates in you the passion and the desire to do his will.
I thought I was. Yeah, that's not what、uh, Philippians two says at all. Trying to do your will, Lord. I thought I was trying to be obedient. Well, if you could be obedient and I could be obedient, we would be. Would we not? You would have saved yourself. You'd be in heaven right now, all by yourself. You would have done it. But the fact is, you can't do it. You need God. And so did the disciples. They were confused, hard of heart, even after all the miracles and the blind eyes and the stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm confused too, especially with how you're coming up with any of these points from this text. Yes, because without Him we cannot do it. With Him we can do it. With God, all things are possible. And it's not just the external; it's the internal. And if you want to listen to a great message on that, Colin's message on Wednesday night. It was solid. It was hard. It was strong. But simply, he was just reading James chapter four. And as he read James chapter four, I just left there thinking, this stuff needs to get in us. God needs to get in us, and He needs to remove some of that stuff. Or- yeah, whatever you think needs to get into people from you know your church probably needs to be exercised and gotten out of them. Stuff in James, so he needs to remove it out of our lives, so we can be vessels of honor, amen. So we can be useful as we wait on him, and it's not going to happen just straight away. It's going to happen as we make a decision for us to wait on him. So go back to Mark sixteen and verse twenty.、It、says the Lord worked with them, confirming his word by the accompanying signs. The Lord worked with them, confirming his word. By the accompanying signs, I'm going to finish with this story. We were out evangelizing. Another story from your life. I'm shocked. Westfields when it first opened with the Bible school, and there was about 30 of them, all just shouting in tongues and worshiping God and telling people that Jesus loves them and all that kind of stuff. And it seemed like nothing much was happening at all, apart from some good. Old passion, you know. I'm a Bible school student, so I'm just going to share everything I know in about ten minutes with everybody, and that's what was happening. And then we finished, and a few people were prayed for. Nothing really happened. And then we were finishing, and we were praying, and a lady had come out of nowhere, and she said, "You know what? I've got this pain in my head. I've got to see the doctor about it. Can you pray for me?" And I said, "Okay." Internally, I was like, I don't really want to pray for you because I want to go home. I've been here two hours. But externally, I was like, well, Jesus loves you, and I'll pray for you because I'm the leader here. So I had to do it. But you know what? When I put her in the prayer queue, something happened to me. Suddenly, I felt God's heart for that lady. And as I prayed and put my hand up on her head, I felt tears come to my eyes, and I just said, in the name of Jesus, I command that pain to come out of your head in the name of Jesus. And as I prayed that prayer, something between God giving me His heart and the wind of the Holy Spirit just hit the back of my head and hit that lady, and she fell right down on the floor and she started to shake in the middle outside Westfields. As she was shaking on the floor, a crowd. A little bit of a note here in the、uh, in the Bible: people thrown to the ground, shaking uncontrollably. That's a manifestation of a demon, not a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. People came together, and a man who was sat in the corner just by a lamppost, he saw this, and he was peering over, and he was asking, "What is that? What is that?" The lady next to him said, "That's God. That's God." And in a matter of moments, he had prayed the prayer to receive Jesus as she explained to him the gospel. Amen. 
And what that story shows me is that we, for two hours, were trying to do something, being faithful in evangelism and doing what we can do. But no, you should have been sitting instead. What were you thinking? That no one can be saved and no one can become a Christian without God himself. And when God breathes on somebody and God touches somebody and God works in your heart, whether you want to do it or you don't want to do it, God needs to do something in you. And then the compassion happens and boom, something can happen. See, God will cause the compassion to happen. Right. It's like April. You know, Aprils are happening all the time. I want God to use me. Do you want God to use you? Amen. I want this move of God. And it's been prophesied that this move of God will happen in the streets. It will happen in communities. It will happen in your houses. It's a move of God, not a stay of God, a move of God. It's going to move out into different parts. And how's it going to happen? You are the move of God, amen? You are the move of God. Tell your neighbor, you are the move of God. Some of you don't believe me. Because God... So, I'm the move of God. You are aware of the big news. Jesus rose bodily from the grave. Kind of a big deal. moves through you. God moves through you. God is dwelling in your heart. He's dwelling in your life. And as you allow him to have more of your life, then when you go out and you just simply pray for people, share, step out, God will start to change you. He'll start to mold you. He'll start to do something in you. And he'll start to do something through you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Done. All right. <laughs> Three sermons in one fell swoop. I, I almost didn't make it. But there's the contestants three, four, and five. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, voting will begin at the end of the week on Friday evening after the broadcast at uh, Pyro Christian Radio. So uh, just to let you know that. Um, you know, if you felt that one of these things, you know, that just deserved... <laughs> the coveted worst Easter sermon of the year contest award, you know, just you'll be able to vote for him at the end of the week. Wow, I I need to go get something for my headache. <laughs> if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>